Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. Uh, really quick before we get going today, just want to say, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify and obviously read us at Indy Cornrows. But mainly, we, we definitely need some more ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. That helps me out, uh, helps the show out, helps get us uh, a little bit more exposure. And I can find out more about what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear. Um, and that brings me to my next point. Tony East of the West Indianapolis Community News Forbes, Locked On Pacers, and the Fieldhouse. I actually got him all this time, is, uh, <laughs> is joining today. So if you don't want to hear Tony on here ever again, be sure to rate and review and let me know. And I will, uh, I will still invite Tony on regardless, but I appreciate <laughs> the feedback. Tony, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm having a good week. It's October finally. September took forever. It was the hardest content month for the Pacers in a long time. So looking forward to moving on to a new month. Yes, I feel that. I, uh, I I don't think I've written an article, at least not on the Pacers, in probably like three or four weeks. So I've been like grinding away the last two weeks researching something. <laughs> and I've, I'm like almost 2,000 words in today, and I'm still wow. feeling like I'm even close to being done. But my deadline's tomorrow, even though Tom didn't give me a deadline. I gave myself a deadline. I was like, I go. have to have it done by tomorrow. So we'll... Uh, We'll see what happens with it, but I'm, I'm ready to have some new words out and, and go from there. And then I have to start my draft coverage. So it'll be exciting because uh, I've never done draft coverage before, but it's yeah, the worst the draft <laughs> coverage. So now I have to go after that. And gosh, that'll be, it's so fun to dig up random clips of Syracuse and East Carolina for draft coverage. Yeah, you're like, well, can it's I actually so... see anything on defense from it's... a zone? Can't well, I know the first guy yeah. scattered this year as a Syracuse guy, big mistake, I, rookie mistake for me. Yeah, I've heard like that's one of the worst parts because this this could be my first scouting cycle ever. Like, so I don't it's, know. It'll be it'll be different. We'll, uh, it we'll is tough, that. but I have my draft list already for guys. I have to I have to go over. I don't want to give Ooh. anything away. I'll talk to you about it after. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Um, so I mean, the first thing, did you watch the game last night? I mean, obviously it's the NBA Finals. I'm I'm expecting you watch the game because, like me, you like watching pretty much yes. everybody. Of course, of course, it was uh it, at first right away. I, I tweeted Lakers and six right before the game, right or like an hour before. And then, man, five minutes in, I think, when it was like 22 to 9 heat, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to look Should stupid. I go delete it? Like, what? Yeah, and then the Lakers just tee them up and destroy them the rest of the game. It was very interesting tactically, like all the writing, not all of it, but a lot of the writing and coverage was about, oh, Bam versus AD is going to decide this. And then early second quarter, it's 33-32, and neither of them were in the game, right? It, they were really trying to, you know, it was Olenek and I think uh, JaVale for a little bit. And I was like, what? You know, what? Is, this is going to be a weird stretch. And we got a Solomon Hill sighting early. We got a lot of Solomon Hill He didn't even play in the last series, I don't think. Yeah. He, he played like 10 minutes in the first like first Kendrick half Nunn, and inspired weird. Kendrick Nunn. I mean, it was it was something. But the, the, the thing is, as good as the game was at first and through the first uh, 16 minutes, I'll say, I mean – Draw gets hurt, Bam re-aggravates, Jimmy hurt, and then at the same time as those are happening, the Lakers just are hitting all these threes and look unstoppable. Pretty put a damper on the rest of the series, so I really am glad I, I 
soaked in those first 16 minutes. Where yeah, things were I actually I fell asleep healthy. during the third quarter, <laughs> which sounds it was terrible, gross. But it was, it really was just, gross. it was, I think they were up 30 at that point. So when that 77 44 run, which was crazy in hindsight to look back at today, because I think Bobby March tweeted that. I was like, wow, I guess they did do that. But like, yeah, uh, it was kind of exciting watching the Heat get eviscerated because I'm a, I'm a, I don't know where you're at. <laughs> I, uh, as much as I, I like some of the people, I, I mean, I like everybody who covers the heat for the most part, anybody I've associated with, I enjoy. Um, but I'm very tired of hearing about hashtag heat culture. I don't know about you, but I've, I've seen that on Twitter about 75,000 times since they beat the Bucks. So. We are currently feuding in, in, uh, the field has group chat about what heat culture actually is. That's funny. It's uh, so <laughs> I've, I've decided, I've made it up in my mind. Heat culture is working out just as much as everybody else, but talking about it more. <laughs> So it's Jonathan Washburn like and you uh, have very similar feelings on what he calls That's ex- I mean, I think <laughs> the idea that nobody else works out like just as hard as Miami. I'm sure that like I know that their their fitness tests are like ridiculous or whatever. But I mean, like the idea that other teams and professional athletes aren't working out in like the same right. way is kind of like I, I don't get it personally. But um, it's Dave Sorrell just said this very well. I think there's two sides to it. One is that the way they talk about heat culture is dumb. It's just dumb. Yeah. But I think it's a real thing because, yes. and Dave, again, Dave said this well, is like players switch teams all the time and players always talk about how like it's different with Miami, mm-hmm. you know, like it's definitely a real thing. It's just, they can't articulate it well enough besides like, yeah, we're up at three in the Games. morning, which just yeah. makes you sound like an asshole. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how I take it too. Like, I think it's real, but the way they talk about it makes me not care that it's real. Uh, right to an extent and it is it Sorrell because I've done pause with Dave I might have just said it wrong if, just now. no because I'm like nervous now I'm like if I've called him I've, I always say Dave Searle <laughs> my good old Midwest accent you might be right he's told me I've said it wrong before so I probably oh, just said it okay so I might be in the clear I'll, I'll, I'll you all know him as Miller Time Pod on Twitter yes exactly <laughs> with the smothered chicken uh I think that's what it's tenderloin it's a tenderloin oh from the days of uh, when when we called stuff Tendy Time, I forget why he did that. What is that from? <laughs> I don't remember. You'll have I am to not aware. But, Next time um, he's on the show, you'll have to ask him. Okay, I will definitely talk to him about that. Um, but anyways, you know, the last thing on the Heat, though, I do want to say, we uh, I, I praise their their player development and their coaching. Obviously, I think Spolster is probably the best coach in the league, just about. I mean, you can. It's always a toss up. But um, I I just want to remind people of the summer of sixteen and the signings that the Miami Heat made. And then you can just laugh for five seconds and enjoy that. Uh, when they matched Tyler Johnson's offer sheet, that was uh, a priceless day. Uh, four for 50. Exactly. Let's, let's run off the numbers too. Let's make it really fun. Yes, four for 50. They signed Dion Waiters to his deal, which I think was four for 48, somewhere yep. around there. Something like that. I thought it was 52, but close enough. It might have been. Actually, I think it was 52, so it wasn't yep. like a super a lot. break. <laughs> yeah, but that was uh, – just remember, while the Heat did do things to rebuild, they uh, they shot themselves in the foot multiple times in the summer of 16. So always important to point out. Um, so, Tony, I guess we kind of have to talk about it for a second. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit before we got on, but uh, Victor Oladipo did an interview with Fat Joe yesterday. I don't know what's more surprising. I can't believe you just said that sentence. Exactly, right? <laughs> um, I, I think some of my main takeaways, uh, Fat Joe has a very wide goatee. Um, and then I also am slightly convinced that he does Botox, but I'm not sure. Um, but <laughs> regardless, the lighting in the interview, he's a shiny dude. And then Vic's like hiding in his car. It's such yes, a funny contrast. Exactly. It was so weird. And like, if I, I went back and I watched the whole thing today and like, you can't eat, like 
half the time he can't even hear Vic, so he's just like pointing to his ear, like I can't hear you. It's just a very awkward thing. So is the clip I saw the Pace of Ruse tweeted the, the clip that circulated of Victor talking about like his values of money and chasing a title in his career and the way he described it both contradict his current situation. But anyway, any whom was that most of the talk he had about the Pacers? I didn't, I haven't seen. Yeah. It so it's like, I, I'm not trying to be like a, a defender of Vic, but I think it, that, that video of the Pacers tweeted got taken pretty out of context because like right after that, I mean, you can again say that he's, he's obviously he's clearly got some other motives and, and stuff going on when he's not speaking. Um, but I mean, he literally came out and said, you know, I want to win in Indiana. I'm, I'm here in Indiana. I'm tired of hearing about the rumors, which that's a whole other thing. But I mean, like literally right after that clip ends, he says, he, he goes on like 20, 30 second rant talking about that. Um, even though fat Joe keeps trying to get him to the Knicks, the entire interview, which is always a delight. <laughs> Yay. But I just, I don't, man, where are we at with this and, uh, and how we feel about, um, where this is at, because I think my vision of, of where I thought the team was headed uh, at the end, you know, after right when, when coach McMillan got fired, uh, I remember we talked probably pretty quickly after that. Um, I know we hit each other up in our DMS, like right when, uh, right when that happened, because we were both kind of surprised. Um, I don't know. My vision of where this team is headed and, and their, their path right now is, is uh, much murkier than it was a month ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I guess. I mean, see, I've I said 50-50 on they keep Vic before he did the thing where he was like, I'm opting out. And then I was like, okay, it's probably more likely that he's gone. But I didn't think it'd get to the point where he would outwardly demand to be out of Indiana this offseason. So that does change the way I look at things. But, like, I don't know. I always thought McMillan would stay, right? We've talked about yeah. that, but. I think that, that n- nothing that's happened so far, despite, the, like, and the, and the moment surprises, like, none of them I've been like, that was out of the realm of possibility. This would be the first one, Victor, right now, demanding a trade to a different team that I would go, wow, I did not, I had not considered that as, like, even on the radar of what they could do. I think he's likely to be traded because of his situation where he could say he wouldn't resign. I didn't think he would demand a trade. And I think that, combined with a new coach, and that – this hasn't been talked about much in the context of his quote only coming out last night is like, is a coach going to want to come to a team where the star is currently at the moment outwardly demanding a trade? Like that doesn't sound super great. So yeah, interesting timing for all that. But the, those timelines being at the same time has changed the, the outlook for the team because like, like the thing I wrote with Brogdon last summer in my article, like scouting that he could bring to the Pacers is like, he's a perfect fit with Vic. Well, that doesn't matter anymore or it might not matter anymore. So it's kind of picking up the pieces and figuring out where this team goes next. And it just like the, the goalpost of what I'm aiming for of like, okay, they need this. So they need to move this guy. I'm like, well, now I don't know what to shoot at because things keep changing and different players are saying this and that. And the coaching search keeps changing. It's very hard to keep up with and, and hard to see where they're going next. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't, I keep trying to write articles or like think about what's going on. I want to do like, uh, more postseason stuff talking about, you know, what the team needs in free agency. I have no idea because I don't know what the team's going to look like in a month and a half. Um, I mean, I think it's – I was pretty certain before uh, before the season – well, not before the season ended, but once the season ended um, and KP's postmortem, I mean, I was, like, pretty pretty certain that, that Miles Turner was going to get traded. I still think that's going to happen just off of everything that I've heard and everything that's kind of gone down the last couple of months. I think it's hard to see otherwise – um, especially, I mean, Jared Weiss's article uh, that came out as well. Um, 
But now, I mean, I think I, I was less certain on whether or not Vic would be traded. And now I think this, like, I mean, it, I would be more surprised if Vic is on the roster to start the season than if he's not. Like, uh, and I, I don't think that that's exactly like a shocking galaxy brain thing to say anymore. No, well, this is what I talked about when I talked about it Tuesday. I forget. My own brain can't remember when I talk about things anymore. But, like, I think Kalen has tweeted this too, or maybe wrote about it. I don't remember. It's like his trade value, even by the trade deadline, it can't really be worse than it is right now, like this second, you know? So, unless he really is like, I'm not playing for your team, pouty pout Anthony Davis situation, which I don't think he'll do that. He does wear a lot of uh, graphic shirts to uh, to the arena, so that could be problematic. You know, knowing <laughs> that's true. I I don't think his value is going to get worse, so I don't know why they would like rush into something right, right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. So I, maybe he'll be on the roster when the season starts, when the season ends. Uh, I kind of doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I I'm just not really sure how to feel about it. I uh, on one hand, I I'm trying to be careful on Twitter just because. I get into I get aggravated easily, so I, I have a tendency to respond when I shouldn't. Um, like today, I actually I tweeted at Jason Whitlock right when my uh, which is always always an exciting time. Um, and right when I sent the tweet, that's when Twitter broke this morning. So I was like, oh wow, I'll kick the covers just banned me from Twitter for Whitlock. But um, no, I uh, I don't know, man. Like I obviously you've spoken to Vic more than I have. I think I've only been on like two or three calls with him, uh, and. I don't, I don't have anything against him personally. And I, I'm really, it's frustrating me seeing people on uh, anywhere, you know, I mean, I see it on Twitter, Indy Cornrows, um, anywhere people are like outwardly talking about him. Like he's a bad human being. Um, I do think that he's handling things in a poor way. Um, just from my perspective, um, I'm sure that there's more going on and uh, behind the scenes that, that you and I probably both don't know about, but uh, at the same time, I mean, I think there is some merit to look at, uh, you know, it's, okay that a dude wants out, but I think it's just the way in which he wants out that's problematic to me. Even, like, like public trade demands have happened in the NBA before. I just think for the, for the cycle with the Pacers, it's always going to be different because this will be the second star in a row yep. who, like, enthusiastically enjoys the small market, goes through a big injury, and then, not maybe not enthusiastically, but hates the small market. You know, outwardly does not want to be. It's like the cycle is painful for fans and it just makes it all the more dramatic. You know, you just hear a lot more of the negatives. So even if he is handling it in the way that it's typically done, right. Vic has yet to do the PG like backstab in one day thing. I mean, today he has not said anything yet, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's just how the stars move these days is they just go to their team and they're like, I don't want to be here. And then if things don't change, they just leak it out to the press and it happens. And, it sucks. And I, I, you know, I don't like, I like as much as I love player agency, I hate that it's so easy for players to, to ditch teams like that. It is what it is. Um, but it's, it's just tough. And for the Pacers specifically, right. The fact that this will have happened to them twice in such a short amount of time makes it tougher to stomach and, and harder to look at objectively other than like, what the hell can we do? You know, if, if we have, if we get enthusiastic stars and they two seasons later are gone, what, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it, I don't know. I, I mean, just, it's, it's interesting to look at it. And it makes me, uh, every day I think about how thankful I am that I'm not a front office person because I like, can't even imagine like being, I'm sure like KP has, uh, has obviously had kind of awareness of not kind of, I mean, I'm sure he's been more aware of what's going on than anybody else. 
Um, and I, I would assume that they have not necessarily spoken directly to Victor about what's going on. Otherwise, we would probably have more comment on that. Um, and it's, I just, like, you do wonder if there maybe is something that's going on in the, the agency, in, not agency, in the, um, in the organization that, that leads to this. But I personally don't see that. Um, but regardless, it's just like, I think that there has to be a point over the next, I, I would hope, week or two where they come together and, and talk with Vic as a, as a front office and try and go from there. But it doesn't seem like that's happened yet. Well, I, I just don't know when next interviews are. Usually the timing is like season ends, and if they're on the road or at home, they get back to market. There's like a day, maybe a two days, and then KP will talk, and then exit interviews happen. But he even said, you know, he's like had conversations with his players. He's in charge of them, but – yeah. He even said in his in his end of season presser, like he kind of told guys to like get away from the game for a little bit. And I know being in the bubble changes things, and there's a pandemic, right? So it's got to be way harder to meet with everyone. So I, I'm pretty sure the playbook of timing is just out the window, especially because they mm-hmm. fired a coach right away, right? Yeah. All the priorities are out of whack. So usually by now they probably would have had player action interviews, and maybe maybe they have. But something KP did say right when he was talking to media is Vic's never told me anything other than that he wants to be here. He said that, and I believe yeah. him. He's not going to lie. You know, he's he's going to say PR speak, but he's not going to lie, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe the, the key word in that is yet. You know, Vic could say that at any point, including during his exit interview. But if they haven't had it yet, he wouldn't have heard it from Vic directly. So I think that's important. But if it has happened and Victor didn't say anything to him, and yet there's still a floating out there sourced report. You know, I, I just, I don't know what to make of it. And it, it's, it's hard to, re, to read into anything. And if Vic had made the comments he made to Fat Joe without the report, I don't think anyone would have even cared, you know? So it's just a lot of weird timing stuff. And it, it, without knowing, like you said, me and you don't know some of the, the front office timings and when they're doing extra interviews and stuff, it's hard to know and piece this in order and, and make anything out of it other than, you know, the order of events makes it seem not great. I'd Especially like to just take a second to appreciate if from the interview with fat Joe, like that sentence just makes me laugh, man. Like that's just <laughs> the 2020 I, remains. This undefeated. is a pop culture podcast now. Not, a, not a <laughs> apparently. Yes. The indie, yeah. indie pop rose corners. Well, I will have to delete that. That was a terrible joke, but uh, <laughs> no, leave it in, please. Leave it in. <laughs> um, so anyways, you know what? We can move off that now. We could talk about that in circles for forever, but I think I have like two kind of questions. I want to go off, uh, off of that. Um, so the number one thing for me, um, this is just more of a quick hitter, you know, in terms of looking at player legacy and, you know, they talked uh, in, in the interview yesterday, they, they talked about, um, can we call it an interview? If it's on Instagram live. I don't know. Is it an interview? Um, I think it's more like just talking to somebody, but a conversation. Yeah. A conversation. Yeah. It's like a zoom call, but you actually see each other. So <laughs> I, uh, I mean like, uh, are you a rings culture person? Because I'm no. not a, I'm not a big fan of rings. I, it's, no. it's kind of annoying to me. Like I, uh, because Victor spoke on that and he's, I don't, I mean, I think if you want to have 8,000 rings, that's your prerogative. Um, but I think it means like, obviously it depends on the person, but I look at like a guy like, and not just to sound like a Homer, that. but you look at a guy like Reggie Miller um, and what he did, I think it's more memorable to me to be the guy that he was and what he did with the Pacers and for the franchise than to just be Robert Ory and go in. You nailed the two players I was going to use in my example. Yeah, exactly. Because that's one of the things that always frustrates me. Like, I'm fine with people being all about, like, you have to win rings. Um, but I, I'm, I, I lose it when, when people try and say that uh, Robert Ory should be in the Hall of Fame over Mitch Richmond or something like that. Because I'm like, okay, Robert Ory was a nice player, 
he did some nice things, but he was on great teams. Like, I mean, you, you win championships if you're on great teams and you're part of that, but like you weren't the sole reason that it happened. Like I, 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 it just always drives me nuts. So Vic is hitting the, he's at the inflection point of this discussion because everyone obviously thinks Reggie is a legend and Robert Ori is not. So rings are not like an evaluator of your legacy. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? And you're right. And I think most people know that. It's when you get to the – so Vic's at the point where he hit all NBA, right? Once you hit that point, then all of a sudden you think about your legacy more because you're actually good. You know, I don't think Robert Ory ever chased rings because he wasn't that level of guy. And Vic's also not 38 years old and hasn't won one where he can just be a role player on a team. He wants to, like, be a stud and get it because that will help his legacy. Like David West going to the Spurs and Warriors is, is not the same thing as Depot doing it right now. But yeah, I don't, I'm not a rings culture guy unless you're a stud. And that's why I mentioned his LNBA thing, because, you know, role players, rings does not affect how good you think they are, right? Obviously, Justin Holiday having, being a part of a championship team is nice for like his experience, but like no one thinks he's any better or worse because he was on the 2014-15 Warriors, you know, it doesn't matter. And so that's why I think that, that your talent level is a part of it, right? Vic being all NBA probably makes him think, okay, if I won a title, I'd be considered in the elites of the NBA. But really, it's not. He's just not that good, um, not that level of guy. Not that good is going to be taken out of context, but he's not that level of guy. So I think the talent level is a big part of it that gets missed. And NBA players obviously have their own conversations. But no, I, I, I don't really care about rings. Like, unless you're, right, unless you're the guy, right? We always talk about, you need one of X number of guys on your team to even make the finals. You need one of the top whatever number guys. I think if you're one of those guys who fits in that group, yeah, the number of rings you have matters in the discussion of how good you are. But for basically everyone else in the NBA, nah, not really. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, um, like, I just look at it and something I was, like, kind of contemplating today and thinking about, I get a little bit frustrated with, um, and again, this is not me trying to sound like a Vic defender. It's more of just, like, trying to, look at things as I think we have a bad tendency as, as people. And I think writers have the issue too, um, of looking at athletes as like people you put on a pedestal or not to say that they're trying to dehumanize them, but I think we almost, um, dehumanize athletes by trying to over like make them heroes to us, you know? And I think I look at a guy like Vic and I, I hate the way that people talk about him, like chasing money or, uh, um, saying that he's a diva. And, and stuff like that. And I get that there are some That's things. That's a weird word. Exactly. I don't like that one at all. It really, it, it completely rubs me the wrong way. Um, but I look at it, I'm like, I think, at least to me, when I look at NBA players in, in terms of getting money, at least at the level Vic's at, I think a lot about of it is like more about respect. And, you know, that can be overrated to some people, but I think respect's really important to guys who spend their whole lives competing. You know, I think I look at it in terms of like, if, okay, well, I know, Solomon Hill's getting paid $15 million a year, which is, I think it's actually more than that. Um, it was more than that. And it's like, well, I know that I'm worth more than that, but I'm getting paid less than that. And I want to be paid like the talented player that I am and the work that I put in. So I think on one hand, I kind of get wanting more money and like wanting to, to play for a certain amount of money. I don't think that makes you greedy necessarily just because um, you want to get what you're worth. And I think, I mean, part of it's because this is a whole other thing, but I think there's a, a we've we've totally blown up sports and and made it uh, like over mystified it and make it made it just so crazy with money and and the way that we franchise everything that 
that it's made sports like way bigger than I, I think it should be, even though it's what I want to do in life. But uh, that's just kind of what I, what I, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, but it's kind of just where I'm coming from a little bit. Well, the way it relates to Victor Singh and the market and like the diva comments, like the, the NFL players move from team to team so much and like don't regardless of market because they don't make as much, right? Like the difference is like the difference between a $7 million contract and an $11 million contract is, is like half the deal. Whereas Vic making 180 million versus 140 million. It's like, dude, it's over a hundred million either way. It doesn't matter what team he's on. He's going to consider that enough money to, to pay for the work he's put in. Yeah, when the, when the money is so big and the industry is what it is, like it's not even like a sport anymore. It's like it's like a lifestyle thing for them at this point. So um, yeah, I, I can agree with that. And the the money being so huge is such a, an interesting factor to me that I've always thought about in terms of how it helps and hurts the Pacers. Not that that's what you were bringing up, but it's just so huge that it's so hard to for us to even fathom how that decision goes down i think exactly like i totally i totally agree with that and that leads me to my next thing because i have surprisingly uh, or i guess i shouldn't be surprised because it's twitter and and comment sections (laughs) but um i I don't know if you've had the same thing come up but how many people have asked you if the pacers should blow it up or more importantly have have blowed it up pacers should blow it up yeah what uh uh, I've I don't know if I've heard anyone say they should do it. I've heard. Oh, I've seen multiple actually. I heard Adam hypothetically do a what if on it, but I don't oh, really? think anyone is seriously like that's. But he doesn't think they should do it. He just was amusing. Like okay, like let's let's say Vegas gone. Like what if they go this route? But I don't. Wow, you've heard. I can't believe people are thinking that. I actually so I had somebody on Indy Cornrows commented and and left like a four paragraph response about how the Pacers should uh, should blow it up and and trade everyone, including Brogdon and Sabonis. Oh gosh, um, so you talk about was, the league being too big to me. This this is why this is why the NBA is is hurt ratings is that there's a tactical gain from teams just being like we're bad, we don't care about our fans. We just we yeah, it's like who cares. Who cares if your team's that good enough for a title? If they're good and fun to watch, who cares? I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So I, that's that's kind of what I want to talk about because I think as the team moves forward, um, like I look at it in terms of I think there's obviously a road for this team to become a contender if they do things right. Uh, it would obviously take a lot of great moves, but I think KP's capable of that. Um, but I think I hate the notion that um, you should just blow things up. And I, I don't like that that's something that we talk about. This is not me trying to be a small market apologist. I think I've, I've talked to you about this. I think I've moved a lot more away from trying to be a fan, just trying to look at things objectively. Like this team is good. They have the, the pieces to be a good team and they have, I mean, they are a good team already. They're not great. They're not bad. They're, they're good. And like, I think I really just don't love the mentality that's come about. And I, I remember I spoke to some people about this for the off season um, perspective side. I think when I talked to Mike Prater, he talked about blowing the team up and, and trying to be um, trying to, get better players. And I think I, I just, I, I, I struggle to buy in with that because you look at it's, it's a one-off a little bit and they obviously completely mismanaged how things were done, but you look at Detroit and I was talking about this with somebody yesterday, actually, because I got annoyed with heat culture saying that they're like the 0304 <laughs> Pistons. And I made sure to let them know yesterday that they were not. Um, and like, you look at that, the, the team from like 2002 to 2009, they make the Eastern conference finals every time they go to the finals twice they lead the NBA in attendance in Detroit for six of seven years straight. And that's huge. Um, and then they go after that, you have the, the Josh Smith era and 
um, Andre Drummond and everything and Oops. totally fall apart. And they've been the bottom of the, the attendance in the league for, I think, the last four or five years now. And I think about that in terms of with the Pacers. And every time somebody tries to bring up with me, oh, the team should, should blow it up or try and tank to get a draft pick because you're just stuck as a fifth or sixth seed. And I'm like, I think that there's a lot more to trying to build a team. And I, I don't think there's a right or wrong way of building a team necessarily. But like, I don't know. I just think bottoming out to try and acquire a draft pick is, it's not like it's copping out, but I just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel good to me. And I'm, again, I'm not sure. I hope that doesn't get taken out of context because I'm not trying to shame people who want that. And especially not the, the guy who commented on Indy Cornrows, but I just, uh, I don't know. I think it's almost a discredit to the guys who are playing in the way that the team has been built so far. Yeah. Uh, you, you tank when it's your only option. I think like, like when it's, it, when it's time to blow it up is when you're a really expensive team and you're bad, right? Like, like Portland might be getting close because they're super expensive. And once Dame starts to tick down and they're not as good, right? They're going to be paying 130 million for like the 11th or 12th best team in the East. You blow that up. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is the time to do that. The Cavs post LeBron at a lot of expensive players. That is a time to do it. The Pistons right now, <laughs> yeah. similar thing. You know, that is when you, you blow it up. You say, okay, we are really expensive. We have nothing good. We, our vets are not good enough to, to get us anywhere. We, we blow it up. Pacers vets are all good. They don't have any one old. They're like a hundred or a hundred. They're 27th in the league in like active camp or total spending or whatever the, whatever the hell the term is. Everybody looks up on Spotrack and tells me, <laughs> uh, you know, like it's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's not time money wise. It's not time wins wise. And it doesn't, you know, it, it sells the fan base. Like you said, it sells the fan base short. You don't transition from era to era when you prompt, you know, you signed all these guys to four year deals, right? They're all, they've all been promised success here. They're, they're going to hate the organization that rings badly upon future players. Like all these things matter. Blowing it up. Isn't just something you can just like push a button and be like, all right, we're doing it. Like you, that's not how it works. And everybody kind of knows on the team when it's coming and it's just, it's not even close to time. I don't even know if there will be a time <laughs> with, for the Pacers ever to do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you look at the time when they, I don't, I mean, they didn't technically blow it up, but they kind of did when they fired Rick Carlisle and uh, yeah, sent him a, li- a little. Yeah. And that took, I mean, that was what, seven years before the team was really good again? I mean, well, again. probably six, I think, because they, they blew it up in 05, 06. I think that's when they traded Jermaine, or it might have been the next year. Um, and then, I mean, you have the really crappy Danny Granger, Troy Murphy, Mike Dunleavy teams. And uh, which that's always fun to look back on. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you look at this team and for the article I'm writing, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this and looking at contention and, and being a viable team. And I think, obviously, I don't think the team quite has the guys yet to be like the mid 90s team. But I think that's what I look at the mid to late 90s team. Um, you just build a team that is really good fits well, has chemistry, has continuity. You obviously make moves when you have a chance at a finals run. Um, but like you always have an opportunity. Like if you look at the team, you're not surprised if they make the Eastern Conference Finals. Like I think you look at that Pacers team from 94 to 2001. Like if they make the finals, you're not, you're not surprised. Like they're a good team. Right. Um, and I think that's the avenue that this team has because they're not going to have a top 10 player uh, unless TJ Warren really blows up next year, um, which that won't happen, but I, I like, saying it. um, but I, I don't know. I just think there's, there, I think the way that I just look at things, there's so much to be positive about with this team. It shouldn't just always be about winning a title. I think when there's an opportunity to win a title, then yes, go all in to get it. But, um, 
I don't know. Obviously, you want to see change and you want to see things move forward. And we're seeing the change um, in more ways than one in some ways that we don't want to see. But, I mean, the Pacers are are heading towards it. And I think that uh, talking about blowing the team up is a a little self-serving. Yeah, it always is. And and it's the promise of – of what, right? Like, like the obviously, next Luka I, I Doncic. Yeah, they didn't even blow it up, though. They exactly. they, wrote, they wrote it out all the way with Dirk, like legitimately all the way. They just happened to be that bad that year. Um, like the Sixers five year tank, and it worked, right? They're gonna be they're gonna be good for eight to ten years, probably really good. Not a thought uh, for a while there about it, Tony. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they had it. They they yeah. had it, man. Like I, I hate that Elton Brand blew it up because the process was like, I like I like creative team building. But anyway, like they haven't made a conference finals yet, and so that's another tip in the cap of like even if they are going to be really good for a long time, have a really popular star and Embiid and another one in Simmons and yada yada yada, they still might not ever even make a conference finals. I mean, they probably will. I still think they will, and if they hire the right coach, which. I'm not going to speak on the guy that it's rumored they're going to hire today, but I don't think he's very good. But anyway, <laughs> um, I think that, you know, the, the most extreme case of tanking hasn't even produced conference finals. What do you really want to see? Like Trey Young is like the third pick kind of stuff, like in a loaded draft. Like you really want to just be terrible so so you can have Trey Young. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Well, Trey Young slander is coming through. I like Trey Young. I no, just, yeah. I, just... <laughs> I think Trey Young's a beast. It's just, I just don't get it. Yeah, no. I don't get I, the appeal of like wanting to be bad, and then your young player is not good enough to get you anywhere for three years, right? Even after Embiid got drafted, they didn't make the playoffs for three years. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, pretty, I agree. Especially in the Pacers market, I'm just pretty anti-tanking in general. I agree, and I, I like, I always, I always like people will always come back with, "Oh, that's like a loser's mentality to keep doing the uh, keep doing that and being a 51 team." I'm like, no. I think it's the opposite, man. I think it's it, it. Obviously, it depends on the market, but I especially like talking about Philly. I'll never forget. Like, I understood why they made the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, I did not understand the Tobias Harris trade. I hated it at the time. I hate it now. And that's not to disparage Tobias Harris. He's a good player. Um, I think we get too caught up looking at contracts. But um, I mean, they had a really good team. I mean, Dario Sharj was actually good in Philadelphia. It hasn't worked out for him anywhere else. Um, I mean, obviously, Robert Covington was great. Uh, Landry Shamit looked like he was going to be really good there, and he's still looking like he's going to be a quality player. Um, but Clip's going to clip, and then uh, like I, I don't know. It's just you don't like when you see team building go awry like that. It's it, it hurts, especially because you see like I, I just I can't stand talking about the team building of of the Clippers and what they did this past year because I think I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think about this because I, I look at the Clippers in Brooklyn and like. I you make those moves ten out of ten times, right? Bringing in Kyrie and KD, hopefully not DJ, um, and then you bring in uh, PG and Kawhi every time, right? But you look at what the Clippers were doing before they brought in Kawhi and Paul George, and they had a, a young player in, in Shea Gilgis Alexander who looked really good. That Clippers team was extremely fun to watch. They gave the the Warriors their hardest test um, until playing the Raptors in the finals and losing. And then you look at the Nets and what they were doing. And obviously I think uh, I'm not the highest on D'Angelo Russell, but like that team was fun. Like they were so fun to watch. They enjoyed playing the game. They played together so well. And then they make the trades that they do. 
And you, you could see it this year, like completely. Like that team was fun when Kyrie Irving wasn't playing because they're used to playing together and they like playing together. And it's just a totally different vibe. And that's not to speak down on, on Kyrie or Katie or any of those guys. But like, I just think it's, it's such an odd an oddity in team building that I, I, I it's, it's confusing to watch and you just kind of skip so much of the process. And I, I don't know. It's, it's a conundrum to me. Team building strategy, be damned. The most fun seasons in the NBA are you have no expectations, right? Like 2017-18 for the Pacers, Incredible. obviously in retrospect, knowing how good Vic was, Sabonis being great off the bench, Bogey DC, better than people thought, right? They should have been expected to be better, but everybody thought they'd win like 30 games, mm-hmm. you know? So them just being awesome, like every game, it's like if they lose, whatever. No one, no one thought they'd be even this good. And if they win, awesome. Look, this team's fun and good. And the same thing applies to those that era of Clippers-Nets basketball. It's right, right, right? The, the Nets have been terrible for a half decade. Like, no one thinks they're going to be good. Oh, my gosh, all these young guys are good, and they can score points and win. Oh, my gosh, the Shea dude we picked outside the top ten is sick. And, wow, the vets we happened to get in random trades fit with him really well. Holy F, we're in the playoffs. Like, that's the, those are the most fun seasons for fans anyway to me is you just have no expectations at all (laughs) i wish it was possible for that to be the case every season because 2018 i mean obviously big injury a big thing but like this year i mean people are getting fired and it seems like a huge disappointment because the team was supposed to be pretty good and they were pretty good they won the most games under mcmillan ever and such but you know you get swept in the playoffs that's not fun you know i think another thing lost in the discussion that you're talking about of tanking and and fun and doing the, the team building strategies. Like a lot of teams goal isn't to win the title, right? Everybody thinks that the president of basketball operations is always trying to, to build a championship team. And some of them are, a lot of them are doing what their owner says and are just trying to make a good team that is profitable. And you know, that maybe their moves aren't made into the guise of making a championship someday. I mean, if they're close, I'm sure they'll go for it, but you know, I don't, I don't know every team in the league. I bet like half of them don't make the moves with the guys of, being in the finals you know what i mean yeah yeah i so. agree it's uh always fun to look at I, I love team building i could talk about it forever man but i won't keep you too much longer first of all before you get out of here tony uh what are you working on that you want people to know about um <laughs> if you're okay and if you're not working on anything what are you uh what are you watching on netflix that you're enjoying <laughs> no i don't know i i stalled and did not do any free agency stuff in september on purpose and so i could do uh, individual free agency previews for Justin Holiday and Jakar and, um, wow, Alize Johnson this month, probably TJ McConnell. Uh, so that that's coming up. I'm going to talk to a few former Pacers and do stuff about that. I'm sure they'll hire a coach. So all that's coming. And on Netflix right now, I'm just watching game shows. I mean, I'm in between shows. There's game shows on Netflix? Yeah, Jeopardy. Jeopardy's and, on Netflix? I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, I watch a lot of Jeopardy on Netflix. Wow. I Okay, so I actually just started watching Schitt's Creek. And it's actually really I heard funny. that's very good. It's super dry humor. So that's my kind of, I like <laughs> my kind of show. Yeah. It's like it's like Dexter without the killing. So it's pretty great. Interesting. Did you ever watch Dexter? Uh, no, but I know the premise of Dexter. Oh, it's fantastic. You should watch it. It's, very, it's like the driest dry humor, but it's fun. <laughs> but uh, anyways, Tony, thanks a ton for coming on, man. It's always a pleasure. Um, and to anyone listening, please be sure again, rate and review on Apple podcasts. If you already did at the beginning of the episode, try and do it again. Maybe, uh, you'll break the system. <laughs> um, be sure to obviously go check out locked on Pacers and all of Tony's work. Follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, read us at any cornrows and have a good rest of your day.